minutes since I've been up here. And so that's all right. <clears throat> I certainly appreciate uh, Pastor doing a pastor thing. I don't know, you know, preaching every service. I, I mean, you know. <laughs> But uh, nonetheless, it's, uh, you know, I, I kind of missed being, uh, you know, studying every week. And, and uh, it, was, it was a bit of a crazy couple of weeks there. But, uh, but by God's grace, here we are again, and we're uh, moving on in the Gospel of Mark. And so open, if you would, to the Gospel of Mark. It has been a few weeks since I've been in this portion of the Gospel with you. And uh, I'll invite you to open up to the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Now, as you find your way there, perhaps you may recall, I know it's been a while, so dig way back in the recesses and in amongst the dust and the cobwebs, you may recall the last couple of studies from Mark that we had done together showed us that Jesus had set aside some time without the multitudes for the express purpose of teaching his disciples, and especially the twelve apostles, and he was teaching them some of the most important principles upon which their God-given ministries would need so that they could build that ministry. And it was very important that, uh, as we read through that, that Jesus would, that no one knew that they were traveling through there because he needed that alone time with the apostles. There, there, there are times that you have to get rid of all of the distractions. The, the phone, the, the family, the dogs, the whatever it is. There's some times that you have to purpose and follow through and spend some very alone time with God. Now, we would do well to purpose, and as I said, follow through with that purpose to spend some specific distraction-free time alone with our Lord, our Savior, and review some of the fundamentals or the foundational truths of our faith. And why should we do that? Well, I've done that years ago. Why should I have to review that from time to time? I know those things like the back of my hand. Oh, what's that? I mean, you know. But we ought to review these things sometimes, some of the fundamentals. Why? Because we don't know what's coming just ahead of us. And it may be that whatever is coming next is going to cause us to rely upon those foundational and fundamental truths. So we need to review them from time to time and, and so that we can be uh, absolutely solid on those foundational truths. If we find from time to time that our understanding of those truths that Jesus has established is, is not quite so rock solid as it were, then if we proceed and we go forward and we try to stand on those shaky understandings, well, it might prove to be just a little bit less than effective as we try to minister. We might be found with our foot in our mouth or worse, found fumbling. We might find even ourselves falling or having fallen from the truth that we ought to know. Paul exhorts us, if you recall, and he even warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. He says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, what does he say? Take heed, lest he fall. But now understand that it's never the foundation of truth that is unstable. What Jesus laid as the foundation is absolutely 
rock solid and stable. It is we who stand upon and we who build upon that foundation that need the routine and regular maintenance, if you will, to make sure that for all you car heads out there, we have to do regular maintenance to make sure that the motor and the undercarriage and the drivetrain and the steering mechanism, make sure they're all working right if we expect to get where we want to go. They have to be in working order because there's nothing worse than, well, breaking down just as the journey is the most treacherous or just as we are in need of that vehicle to work. If we break down when the need is the greatest, then the loss is the greatest. In our last study, from the end of Mark chapter 9, Jesus was teaching that, uh, that we must come to the place where we have the right perspective. If you remember that message a couple of weeks ago, we must come to the place where we have the right perspective as his disciples and as ministers of Jesus Christ and his righteousness and grace. Now, to get to that place of the right perspective, we must put everything that we do, everything we say, everywhere we go, every desire that we pursue, all that we think and believe, we must put it all up against the standard that is Jesus Christ, the very Word of God. We have to get to that right perspective. Then Jesus taught, if we find that any or any one or more than one of those things are, are found in contrast or in conflict with God, Jesus says that in Bible, the Bible says in Mark chapter 9, if it offend thee, meaning if we're found in contrast with the way God would have us to be behaving or living or going, it says if it offend thee, we must cut it off or get rid of it. So we have to have that maintenance. We have to have the right perspective before we go into any kind of a, a ministerial activity, if you will, or, or trying to minister to anyone or trying to witness with anyone. And so this is the premise upon which we come to our text tonight. Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. So read along as I read. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 1. And Jesus arose from thence, and cometh unto the, into the coasts of Judea by the farther side of Jordan. And the people resort unto him again, and as he was wont, he taught them again. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? Tempting him. And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh, so that they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And verse 10 says, In the house... His disciples asked him again in the same manner. And he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. And that is our text for tonight. Now having read the text, we can immediately recognize, I believe, that this subject, marriage and divorce, can, for some, 
be a very deeply emotional and sensitive matter. So before we go on, would you join me as we pray? Father God in heaven, as we look to your word tonight, Lord, we would ask that the Holy Spirit of God would fill each one of our hearts. Fill us, Lord. Open our hearts of understanding, Lord. Help us to see the right perspective from your perspective. Help us to see that the Word of God is pure and beautiful. God, would you help us tonight, Lord, to see the wisdom of your Word. Lord, not to try to understand it from man's perspective, because, Father, that is faulty at best. But God, we're asking that the Holy Spirit of God would work mightily in this place tonight. And for all those that might hear your word tonight, please, Lord God, set me back and may Jesus Christ be set forward. May your Holy Spirit work mightily. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now as our text begins tonight, Jesus has, along with his disciples, left their, uh, call it their solace retreat. Right? They were in this place all by themselves, and they were having a retreat, if you will. And immediately as they left this retreat, we see that according to verse 1, the people resort unto him again, and as he was wont, meaning, now that word want, what it means, as he was accustomed to do, or as he was purposed to be there for, as he was wont, he taught them again. Now surely... By this point in Jesus' earthly ministry, word has spread far and wide about this man Jesus, that not only can he heal all manner of diseases, but he also teaches with authority, with authority that the religious leaders don't have. He teaches with authority the truth and the wisdom of God in heaven. So people are coming from near and far to be healed and to be taught. But if you look again in verse number 1, verse number 2 actually, look who else shows up. (laughs) Verse number 2 says, and here they come again, the Pharisees came unto him. Isn't that just the way it goes? You make an effort to go and learn the truth of God. You make an effort to go to church where you're going to hear the word of God being preached. And here comes along some antagonistic distraction. Boy, those are great big words to say. Somebody's coming along to take away your joy. They're an antagonist. They don't want you to hear the truth of God. Satan does not want us to hear the truth of God. Mankind in this world does not want us to hear the truth of God. You make an effort to go hear the truth of God, and here comes this antagonistic distraction to mess up the whole experience. Now the Pharisees, the Pharisees are quite well versed in what are the laws of God. Now we might know it as the Mosaic law or the Levitical law as it was given by God in what we know as the Old Testament. But as we saw a couple of chapters earlier in our study in Mark, Jesus revealed something about the Pharisees. He revealed that the Pharisees do nothing but teach the traditions of men, the Bible says, making the word of God of none effect. It's found in Mark chapter 7 and verse 13. 
So these Pharisees, they knew exactly what God has said on this subject that they are broaching with the master, with the teacher, with Jesus. They knew exactly what God has said about marriage. But as they typically do, the Pharisees here wanted to catch Jesus in some kind of a a trap that they could use to accuse him of, I don't know, heretical teaching, some kind of a trumped-up charge, if you will. But isn't it great Jesus wasn't fooled? He knew exactly. Read again verses 2 and 3. The Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? And then there's this word, this phrase, They were tempting him. They really didn't want to know what Jesus knew about this. It says the Pharisees came and asked him, Is it lawful? Because they were tempting him. And verse 3 says, And Jesus answered them and said unto them, What did Moses command you? You see, he first pointed them back to what Moses had taught and counseled so that he could remind them and that he could point out to them that even though Moses had given them some kind of a concession, God's true plan for this topic of marriage and divorce was so much different than what mankind had turned it into. The answer that the Pharisees gave Jesus, of course, was only a partial answer. In fact, they offered only the part that fit their own narrative. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that typical when someone is trying to, I don't know, confront us about what we believe and we say, well, what about this? And there's the what about. And what about this? And, and they say, well, okay, well, so this is true. But they only give the very little bit of a part that might fit the way they want it to fit. And that's what the Pharisees did here. Because... Verse 4 says, they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorce and to put her away. That's what Moses said. Um, Well, yeah, but that's not all of what Moses said. What they implied was that a man and his wife could divorce for any reason that suited them. He said, Moses just said, give her a writing of divorcement. But that was not, in fact, what Moses had instructed Now, we won't take the time to go back and read it, but Deuteronomy chapter 24 is where that can be found, where Moses said that they could give a bill of divorcement. But in lieu of that, let's turn over, if you would, to Matthew chapter 19 for a minute. Matthew chapter 19. I know it's here somewhere, just like it is in your Bible. Matthew chapter 19, briefly going to look at this. We're going we're to see that this is indeed what the Pharisees were, were thinking. Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse number 3, this is a, a parallel passage, if you will. The Bible says that the Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put his way his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave a father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh? Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. 
And in verse 7, they say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? And he saith unto them in verse 8, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. Now our text, of course, records Jesus' response just the same. And in our text, he records in verse number 5, Jesus answered and said to them, For the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder in verse 9. You see, it's exactly the same record of what Jesus said. And this, friends, is truly God's plan for marriage. If we study this out and if we look at what Jesus said here, it starts with God. What do you mean? Marriage, if a marriage is going to be successful in the way that God wants it to be, marriage, that relationship starts with God. Jesus said, from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. So, the most successful marriages are those that begin with two believers. One man and one woman as God designed and as God created. That's it. One man, one woman. There's no crossovers. There's no like this and like that. And there's no transitions. There's one man and one woman as God designed and God created. Period. That's God's plan. When those two individuals, believers in in God, when they commit themselves to following the Lord and allowing Him to direct their paths, then God will bring them together at the right time and in the right way so that God joins them together. Our text goes on to say here in verses 8 and 9, They twain shall be one flesh, so then they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore, here it is, God hath joined together. Let not man put asunder. Now this phrase, what God hath joined together, and the phrase, they shall be one flesh. These, these carry the idea of being like, uh, what's the word, conjoined. Where have you ever heard the word conjoined? You've heard of it with conjoined twins. They may be two individuals, but they are physically joined so that they cannot be separated. And I, I believe that if we, if we really were to look at this and, and we go back into Genesis, in fact, where, where was Eve created from? Adam's rib. A part of his physical body. God's plan was that when he joined them together, it would re-complete his creation of man and woman. Gives us the understanding that this joining together by God is, is 
putting the two back together into a whole and complete union that should never be put asunder or separated in this life. Just as there are with conjoined twins, just as there are tremendous risks to separate conjoined twins, so is the risk never so great as when we oppose God's design, especially in marriage. But friends, the troubling reality in this world is that many marriages begin with nothing more than maybe a cursory thought as to what God might have for us. And worse, far more marriages are begun without even thinking of or knowing God at all. Rather, in this world, it's based on, she looks good, wow, what a hunk. They look great. I want to be together with them. You don't even know them. Well, let's get to know them. Hey, do you like this? Yeah. Hey, do you like this? Yeah. Let's get married. Yeah. No. It's based on looks. Or maybe it's based on status. Maybe it's based on money or convenience. Or maybe the marriage is based on some other temporary happiness. And if it doesn't work out, well then, no hard feelings. I don't love you anymore. Let's just agree that we'll separate and move on to somebody else. Children? The children will be fine. They're resilient. And you know what? There's therapy. So they'll be fine. I want to go and do what I want. Oh, my stars. It's tragic when we oppose God's design. Now, the saddest tragedy is when a marriage does begin right, but then one or both lose their perspective. Remember, we're talking about we have to go into situations in life with the right perspective. We have to have God's perspective. And when the marriage begins right, but then one or both of them lose their perspective and are enticed by the lust of the eyes or lust of the flesh or by the pride of life. Oh, it's tragic. Would that the Holy Spirit of God would get a hold of those hearts before they make terrible choices that cannot be reconciled because Paul writes to us in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 through 11, Unto the married, he says, I command, yet not I but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband, and, but, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. You see, would to God that he would be able to get a hold of those hearts and get them brought back together before something terrible happens. Unfortunately, mankind is generally much more selfish. And when we do lose our perspective, James writes that every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. Well, let's come back to our text for just a minute. Because Mark goes on to record in the last part of our passage, verses 10 through 12. In the house, his disciples ask him again of the same matter. He saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. Now, boy, those are 
Those seem to be awful harsh and, 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 and blanket statements. But friends, they speak to just how sacred marriage really is in the eyes of God. But we also know that God is merciful. And God is full of grace. For Jesus also said, as Matthew bears record in chapter 19 and verse 9, And I say unto you, Jesus said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. There's that exception. There's that mercy, that grace from God that makes allowance for certain situations. But again, that's not how God intended it from the beginning. And yet in God's mercy, He's made provision. Now it may seem like this verse that I just read, Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife except of you for fornication shall marry another committeth adultery. It might seem like this verse, and I've heard this said in times past, might seem like this is preferential to men in that the inference is that the wife is the guilty party in the fornication thing, so it's never the man, it must be the wife. But that's not true. Because as we couple this, the whole counsel of the gospel, as we couple this right here with our text tonight, Matthew chapter 10, verses 11 and 12, we see that this is applicable to either the husband or the wife. Verse 11 says, He saith unto them, Whosoever put away his wife and marry another, committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. See, there's no distinction. It's applicable to both ways. God is not, and again, I've, I've heard this said, God is not some kind of a misogynistic chauvinist. God does not hate women. We know from Scripture that God is no respecter of persons. That's Acts chapter 10 and verse 34. The truth is that in this matter of marriage, God holds a very high standard as it is the model of the relationship between Jesus Christ and we who are the church. The blood-bought, redeemed in Christ. As our text tells us in verses 6 through 9 again, God views that marriage relationship as sacred. 6 through 9, he says, From the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Verse 9 says, What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Now again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul writes in verse 3, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. And likewise also the wife unto the husband. You see, the two need to be working together. They need to be working together to help each other, to support each other. Isn't that what God said back in Genesis? Adam was found that he was lacking, and so God made Eve a help meet for his needs. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. Now I've said a lot of things. And there's a burden on my heart to let you know that this is not intended to be some marriage seminar. This message is not intended to be marriage counseling. It's not intended to be condemnation of anyone or anything. It's not meant to be commendation of anything that may or may not have happened in anyone's life prior to tonight. 
and I cannot attempt to address all of the complications that mankind has introduced and continues to introduce in this matter of love and marriage. We can, however, with the help of the Holy Spirit of God, understand that marriage is God's highly valued treasure. And just as with all of God's word, we ought to see ourselves with the right viewpoint. And that viewpoint is as it's reflected in the word of God. Now, in this matter, in this particular passage, what may have happened in the past, I want to say that God's grace and forgiveness haven't expired. What's happened in the past is in the past. If the Holy Spirit of God is touching something that, that, that needs to be straightened out, then may God help us with that. The Pharisees here were simply trying to trip up and catch Jesus in some conflict to what their law of tradition had become. But what did Jesus do in response? He went right back to the beginning. He started with God. And when we start from anywhere else, if we start from anywhere else other than God, things become so much more convoluted than necessary. Start where God starts. Build with God's building blocks. And highly treasure the things that God highly treasures. Marriage is God's treasure. Now I understand, and and I'll just say this before I close. I, I hope that I haven't offended anyone, but this is the Word of God. And we have to know that the Word of God is true. And the Bible tells us, let God be true and let every man be a liar. And I recognize the sensitivity of this topic, but so did Jesus. And God's grace and His mercy have provided for certain situations. Anything outside of those, that's man-induced, and man has to face the consequences of that. But if we start with God, and if we keep with God, and if we build with God, then things are going to be so much the better. Pastor, would you close? Well, because we live in a society that we live in, man is not always willing to live by the Word of God. And they'll always make poor choices and poor decisions. But I'm also reminded that also in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that if you have um, two people that were married, and one of them gets saved, um, that's not a justification for walking away from the relationship. But if the unsaved spouse wants to be done with it, then you're not to fight it. That's right. Uh, so, I mean, there's a, a lot to this whole business of the relationship there. But I think one of the best sermons I ever heard on that was from a fellow that uh, we had heard it was on television. 
I'm trying to think of his name was James Mattis or something of that nature there. And, uh, well, I tell you, it was, it was really good. It's something that every one of our young people should listen to. And if I can get a copy of that somewhere along the line, I'm going to make sure that any premarital counseling I do, they're going to, they're going to hear it. Um, because the commitment for this relationship before God is so important. And I try to stress that in premarital counseling. I try to stress it in the marriage vows as well. Because so many people today, they don't, they don't labor under biblical principles or biblical precepts. Their ideology is the ideology of the world. And so we have to share with them what uh, the Bible has to say along the way and hopefully they'll make better choices, better decisions along the way. But be that as it may, we've got a wonderful God. Yes. He's a loving God. And we must never forget that. Father, we thank you again for so great a love, for such a precious word that, Lord, there are decisions that we make throughout life that we do wish we could go back and, and undo them. But, Lord, they are the history of our life. But they don't have to be the present. They don't have to be the future. And so as we learn, as we glean, as we grow, then, Lord, may we be mindful to lean heavily upon your word, the direction and inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, so that we might be men and women, Lord, that you can use in very positive ways to guide and direct our, our children and our grandchildren to be able to give ready counsel to those around us and Lord in this we become your ministers and we are to minister to those around us so Lord thank you for your love thank you for your grace Father dismiss us now with your blessings we pray in Jesus name Amen Amen Thank you.